Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33, the Word of God says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, uh, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and together, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for the backstory here of Christ, the origin story of, of where his birth not only took place physically, but some of what happened before that and the announcement of his coming uh, to Mary here. Lord, we're pleased in this Christmas season to shine the light on you. And I pray that you would give us wisdom to put you first in this holiday season as we enjoy it with friends and family. And Lord, may the gospel of Christ uh, sound forth strongly from this place, and not just from our church building, but from each of us as we leave here and scatter throughout the Christmas season. May we take the true story of Christmas wherever we go. Speak to hearts now, forgive us of our sin, fill us with thy spirit, and teach us your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's no secret I love Christmas time. Every year I look forward to it. And uh, Thanksgiving, of course, who doesn't love that? Uh, and we get through Thanksgiving, and for a lot of people, Christmas season starts pretty much right after Thanksgiving. And uh, the decorations go up, the trees start going up, the, the songs in the stores change, the decorations uh, throughout town and, and in other places go up. And... and uh, we have the lights on different houses, and, and I, just, I just like the festive spirit of Christmas. Uh, over 95% of Americans celebrate Christmas, and I think that's an interesting fact. But I wonder how many of them know what Christmas is really about. Uh, I think a lot of them uh, see it as a holiday, and they enjoy it being festive, but they don't really know what the purpose is. They know it was about a baby, and many of them know it was about Jesus, but uh, who was that child? What's the significance of the child Jesus? And it's interesting that anytime we come to something important, Satan has uh, the plan to kind of flood with misdirection and misinformation. And he's done that with Christmas, with the commercialization of Christmas. Uh, sometimes we get so focused on the gifts we give to one another, we forget the great gift he made available for all, which is salvation. 
Uh, we can get so focused on the baby Jesus in the manger and the cute nativity scenes that we forget that baby grew up and became the Savior, died on a cross to pay for our sins, was buried, rose again, ascended to the Father, and He's coming back not as the Lamb, but as the Lion, as the conquering Lion. And He is coming again. And praise the Lord for that. Uh, we can get caught up in the commercialization, the parties, the different things. But I, I think as Christians, if anybody understands the true meaning of Christmas, it should be us. And while we're able to celebrate all of those other things and enjoy the, the, uh, those aspects of Christmas, we can't get away from what Christmas is truly about. And Christmas celebrates the birth of the Savior. Christmas is a day, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, but it's a day that was chosen to commemorate the day of his birth. He was born. He was born in a manger, according to the, the scriptural account. The angels did come and herald his birth before he was birthed, and then after he was born, the shepherds did come, the wise man came. Everything the scripture says is true. This isn't a fictional children's story. These are historical accounts, not written by historians, but written by God himself. And so they have the, the ultimate authority and authenticity. And so we celebrate Christmas to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. And why was it important that he be born? Uh, Jesus was going to pay for the sins of mankind, so God found a way, this miracle, to robe the Son of God in human flesh. And Jesus was called the Son of God and the Son of Man. He was the God-man. He was 100% man, but he was 100% God. And the rest of the story, Luke chapter 1, tells how that happens. Even Mary, in, in uh, verse 34, then Mary said uh, unto the angel, uh, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She said, Look, I, I know how all this works, and you've got to have a, a man and a woman, and then they have a children together, and the... the uh, angel explained, no, this was going to be a special verse. birth. Verse 35 says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore that also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And so the Holy Ghost said, Listen, I know that you understand that a female, she adds some genetic material, and then a male comes along and adds genetic material, and then God does the miracle of life, and those uh, two uh, pieces of genetic material, a uh, spark of life happens, and that becomes a new human, a living soul. It becomes conscious and, and uh, a living being, and that's wonderful. But the, the, the angel said, body here to uh, birth the, the child, but the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. The Holy Ghost is going to place this holy seed within you, and you're going to carry this perfect little baby. And we understand uh, some of that today with, with uh, in vitro fertilization and things like that. We understand it's possible to take genetic material and place it in the womb, and then that can grow. Uh, God taught that the Holy Spirit was going to place the genetic material for this perfect human inside of her womb, and she was going to be privileged to carry this baby. It was a miracle of God. 
uh, the virgin birth. And the significance is that the Son of God had to become human to die for humans. As a man, he died for the sins of man. But wait, because he was not the product of a normal uh, male-female relationship, he did not carry the sin nature that you and I have been tainted with. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, every human has passed down this corrupt genetic material, and we are sinners by birth and by choice. Uh, that's why uh, long before you could talk, you were sinning. You know, no, no parent had to teach their child how to disobey, right? We didn't sit down and say, okay, now you're about two or three years old. Now I'm going to teach you how to lie, all right? And here's, here's how you do it. And uh, now some people would be good teachers because they've got it down pat. But uh, we, we don't have to do that. We don't have to teach them to hit their brother or sister. It just comes naturally. We don't have to teach them to take a piece of candy they see laying around. Uh, they're, they're, this genetic, uh, this sin nature has been passed down from father to child uh, all throughout history. And Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 teaches that. Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And watch this. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so the sin nature passed from father to child all throughout uh, the, the ages. And we are sinners by birth, and we are sinners by choice. People say, boy, well, Adam really messed it up. And if, if, he, if, if he didn't do that, we wouldn't be in trouble. That's true. But I often remind people, you think you would have made a different choice in the garden? Adam was a perfect man. And we'd all like to think that, that well, it would have been different if I'd been in charge. It, it might be worse if I'd been in charge. Uh, and so we've got to realize that we're sinners not just by birth. We just can't blame Adam for our sin. We choose to sin. Uh, just like this week. If we sinned, it's because we chose to. And look back at the biggest mistakes in your life. Uh, we chose to do those things. And yes, circumstances may have been moving and we, we may have been encouraged, but ultimately it is our choice to sin. That's why God says the way that you get freedom from your sin, the way you receive forgiveness is to acknowledge that you are a sinner. That's the first step to salvation. You have to say, I am a sinner. I sin. And I need a Savior. And if you're not willing to admit that you're a sinner, then you can't be saved because you don't need a Savior. And so uh, repentance, this idea that I'm going to acknowledge what I've done wrong. I'm going to see things the way God says they are. I'm not going to argue with Him and justify it. I'm going to agree with God. I'm going to take the blame and He will remove the guilt. And by the way, it's like that after you get saved too. Uh, to keep a short account with God, to keep things right with God. When we sin as a, as a Christian, the best thing to do is acknowledge it, confess it, forsake it, and move on. A forgiveness is available. But as long as we're making excuses and justifying, then we're going to bear the guilt and the shame of that. But when we take the blame, God takes the guilt through Christ. Isn't that good news? Amen. That's important when you notice a lot of things today. A lot of people don't want to take the blame. A lot of people justifying everything. It's not their fault. 
and well, it's mom and dad did this, and my brothers did this, and my friend did this, and my this. You know, we all have to get to the place where we say, hey, I blew it. It's my fault. And uh, back when I was playing basketball as a team sport, and uh, it was good. The other, the other players appreciated if you said, hey, that, that was me. You know, I, I, I threw that pass bad. I missed that shot I should have hit. I missed that layup. That was me. And back then, of course, we were so cool in the 90s, we'd say, that was my bad. And whenever, whenever we sin, it's good for us to say, hey, that was me. My bad. I blew it. I'm sorry. And then we do that with God. We should do that with the people in our lives, too. Amen? Uh, and as we take the blame, God removes the guilt. <clears throat> and so uh, the birth here of Jesus Christ is, is opening up the gospel plan. This is the gospel plan that was in motion since the beginning of creation, even before creation. The Bible says that God had devised this plan. For thousands of years, the Messiah, the Savior, had been promised, and now was the moment He was here. And this is a beautiful moment. The virgin birth of Christ is a beautiful moment that when God became a man. You say, I don't understand that. Join the club. All we know is that God, in a way that you and I can't understand, He found, he found a way to wrap Himself in mortal flesh. The difference being that it was not tainted by sin. Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God. His birth was different. It was a holy birth, a special birth. He was not birthed in sin. Because of that, He didn't carry that corrupt sin nature. And then, this is the beautiful part, Neither did he ever choose to sin. Jesus didn't sin. He had no, no desire to sin. Like you and I, we, constantly, we have that constant pull for wrong. We, and, and each one of us have sins that beset us. We have certain sins that, that attract us more than others. Perhaps for some, it's, it's dishonesty. For some, it's immorality. For some, you know, stealing has never been something that I've struggled with. If I see something that's not mine, I don't touch it. It's like, why? Well, it's not mine. But I know people that it's like they really struggle with that and kleptomania and, and these, these other things and shoplifting. And I mean, it's like they get some thrill, some urge to do that. Uh, thank God up to this point, I've uh, never had a real st- struggle with drugs or anything like that. And I come from alcoholics family, long line of alcoholics. And uh, that's why, I, I, according to the scriptures, of course, I never touch this stuff. But I'm thankful because I, I think that I probably would be drawn to those things. Uh, but for the grace of God. But we all have sins that draw us. We all have things that pull us towards the, 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 the dark path of sin. Jesus didn't have that. He walked through life and sin had no pull on him. No control. He had no desire or compunction to sin. He was the sinless Son of God. And he walked on this life for 30 plus years. Never once said a word he shouldn't have said. Never once lost his temper. Didn't say he never got mad. The Bible says be angry and sin not. You can be angry and not sin. The problem is most of the times you and I get angry, we are sinning. Because we get angry about all the wrong stuff for all the wrong reasons. 
But when Jesus made himself a whip and was casting people out of the temple for doing wrong, he wasn't in sin. He was angry, but not in sin. And you and I would do good and do well to be angry at sin instead of taking out our anger on people or being angry when we are done wrong. Uh, and that, that's a whole other message in itself. Jesus was the sinless Son of God, and on the cross He was able to die for the sins of the world, for your sins and my sins, because He had no sin of His own. Now all that was made possible because of this moment here we're speaking about in our text, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would become a human child. The Bible talks about the humility of Christ. Think about how humble it is to be sitting on the throne of heaven. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1, that He created everything there is with the words of His mouth. He is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He created everything with the words of His mouth. Genesis chapter 1, when God spoke everything to existence, we believe that was the Son of God, the part of the Godhead who was the Son of God that spoke all those things into existence. And time, space, and matter began in Genesis chapter 1 with the word of His mouth. Jesus Christ in the throne room of heaven, He sits on a throne. All the angels adore Him, special angels, a cherubim and seraphim crying, Holy, 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 protecting Him and, and, and setting Him apart. His glory is like a smoke that fills the room. It's this tangible power and strength and purity and majesty. Isaiah saw him just briefly in a vision that's like seeing through a glass darkly. And he saw this vision of the Lord high and lifted up. And he said, woe is me, for I am undone. A simple glimpse that the majesty of Christ put him on his knees. Begging for mercy. One of these days, this is the Son of God who will stand before the lost who come before Him. He is the judge of all. And this is He who set all that aside and said, I'm going to become a little baby. Never has there been such humility. Never such condescension. You and I feel like we get the short end of the stick sometimes, and we do. And we try to humble ourselves and walk humbly as Christians, and we should. But we could never come close to the humility of the Son of God being born as a human baby. He couldn't walk. He who would heal the lame came into the world not able to walk. He who would make the mute to speak came into the world not being able to form words. He who holds all creation in place makes the flowers grow, the the rain to fall, the sun and the moon to stay on schedule. And he needed someone to take care of him. Someone to clothe him. Feed him. Never has there been such humility. And you and I should strive for humility as well. We're talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. 
And this morning, I want to just give you a couple thoughts here from our text. You know, the, the world asks when they hear about Christmas and they think about Christmas and, you know, what child is this? What child is this? A songwriter years ago asked that question in the beautiful song and we find the song in our hymnal. Let me just read to you the words, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping? Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian fear for sinners here, the silent word is pleading. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. And the chorus, this, this is Christ the king, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. This, this is Christ the king, the babe, the son of Mary. Another Songwriter wrote these words in a lesser known hymn, Who is he in yonder stall? Who is he in yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall? Who is he that stands and weeps at the grave where Lazarus sleeps? Lo, at midnight, who is he he prays in dark Gethsemane? Who is he in Calvary's throes asks for blessings on his foes? Who is he that from the grave comes to heal and help and save? Who is he that... From yon throne rules the world of light alone. Tis the Lord, O wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At His feet we humbly fall. Crown Him, crown Him, Lord of all. What child is this? What a child. What child comes into the world heralded by angels? What child comes into the world that people come from afar to greet Him? He wasn't born in a mansion. He wasn't born in some government palace he was born in a barn in a stable placed in a manger where animals would lick out their food and I used to to work in a uh, we we had a cow growing up and and people all around us had animals and every once in a while as a teenager someone would pay me to go out and get get the hay out of the the dirty hay out of their barn and mixed with other things and so you'd be in there cleaning those things out and and uh, wonderful job. Uh, I have pleasant memories of all of that. And uh, the, the smells still haunt me in my nightmares. And, and so we're, we're cleaning out those things. And uh, sometimes you'd put the, the feed in where they would eat. Uh, sometimes you'd slop the hogs. And those, those places, the, 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 the containers where these animals eat, they are not clean. They're not hypoallergenic. They're not sterile. Barns are dirty. Stables are not a place where you would think of a child being born. And here's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, not just becoming a human boy, but a human boy born in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. That innkeeper gets a lot of flack over the years. You know, the truth is each one of you are an innkeeper. Each one of us get to decide if there's room in us for Jesus. And a lot of people say, oh, Jesus, there's no room for you in my life. What a shame. The difference is that innkeeper didn't know who the baby was. 
Do you think if that innkeeper would have known that this is the Son of God, he probably could have found some space? But see, you and I have the greater condemnation because we know exactly who he is. And yet some still say, there's no room for you, Christ, in my life, in my heart. What a shame. So what child is this? We pick it up. If you look back at verse 31, I'll show you a couple things. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and thou shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Boy, I just love the name of Jesus. Uh, I I just love it. And uh, when I think of the name of Jesus, it just brings warm feelings to my heart. It brings these, these Bible verses and everything that we know about the Lord, the name Jesus. Just a wonderful name, a beautiful name. Devils tremble at the name of Jesus. Saints worship at the name of Jesus. What a name. And we could preach a whole message on the name, but that's for another time. But then the angel says four things about who this Jesus was going to be. So we asked the question this morning, what child is this? The angel answered the question when he was explaining to Mary that she was going to carry the Messiah that was coming to earth and that that had been promised. The angel said, you're going to have a boy. His name's going to be Jesus. And this is who he is. This is who he's going to be. And the angel said four things. If you look at verse 32, first he says, he shall be what? Great. He shall be great. What child is this? He's a great child. He's a great child. Never has there been a more important baby born than Jesus Christ. He changed the course of history. He changed eternities. Every time you and I write the date, 2019, getting ready to change it to 2020, I wonder how many months it's going to take me to get that right. You know, every year it takes me a while to get the, the, na- the, the date right when I'm writing it or, or typing it out. But every time you and I write that date, it's been 2019 since the birth of Christ. And then it was B.C. before that was before Christ. And then Anno Domini A.D. after Christ. And so Jesus Christ, even historically, and even every time we write the date, we are admitting that there was a baby born named Christ, Jesus Christ, who changed the course of the world. We define human history by the birth of this great child. I do the same in my life, don't you? Oh, that was before I got saved. That was before Jesus came in my life. That was before I accepted Christ in my Savior. There's two parts to the life of Paul Chapman. There is the me before salvation and there's the me after salvation. Because wherever Jesus goes, he changes it. He changes everything. He transforms everything he touches. He's a creator, a healer, and he is great. Has there ever been a more famous person than Jesus Christ? 2,000 years after he's born, 2 billion people on the planet claim his name. He had no website, no magazine, no TV show, no YouTube channel. I was just reading recently that these people on YouTube 
Uh, they've got one, one guy, he's got over 100 million subscribers, and uh, pretty much a weirdo, <laughs> just uh, 100 million subscribers. I was reading that the, the top paid YouTuber of this year uh, was an eight-year-old child. This year, they made $26 million. They started out when they were three, and their parents would videotape him opening toys. And five years later, he's making millions of dollars. Jesus didn't have any of that. But he didn't need it. He didn't have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever new stuff's coming out and going in and coming out. There were no telephones, there were no computers, there were no airplanes, no cars, no space shuttles, no satellites. And this child, 2,000 years later, is the greatest person who ever lived. The angel was right, wasn't he? This child's going to be great going to be amazing, going to be famous. The book written about him is the best-selling book of all time, the Holy Bible. The songs written about him fill churches still today. This child truly is great. What child is this? He's a great child. What child is this? Let's read on, verse 32. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. What child is this? This is the Son of God. We read down in the end of verse 35, and the angel says, That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. There seems to be a lot of confusion in the world today about who Jesus Christ is. No, it's an easy answer. He's the Son of God. You read all through the scriptures, and he's the Son of God. Uh, Look at Mark chapter 1. Just one book back, Mark chapter 1. And look at verse 1. Let's read it together, ready? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Oh, he's the Son of God, all right. He's always been the Son of God, and he always will be the Son of God. Look at John chapter 1. So we look back one book from Luke, now look forward one book. Gospel of John, Gospel of John chapter 1, look at verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, that capital W here is speaking of Christ, it's a proper noun, speaking of a person, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was who? God, the same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And uh, this is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And uh, excited about that. Look at John chapter 1 and verse, look at verse 35. Again the next day after John, this is John the Baptist, stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. 
And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, Where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And wow, they got to see the Son of God. They got to hear the Son of God. They got to uh, look on his face and touch him that holy body. And uh, all throughout the scriptures we find uh, here in, uh, look down at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, whence, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. And this amused Jesus in verse 50. You can read it later. He said, just because I told you where you were and what you were doing when no one else was around, you believe? He said, son, you're going to see much greater things than this. You know, when people got close to Jesus, they recognized this is the son of God. Look at the, the baptism here. Look at verse 32. John the Baptist said, and John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bare record that this is the Son of God. And so John said, listen, I didn't know who the Son of God was. I knew that I'm supposed to proclaim Him. I was preaching of repentance. He said, but, but, but God told me that whenever you see that dove come down and, and remain on somebody, that's the Messiah. And John was there. John got to baptize Christ. He saw that happen, and everything clicked. You see, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ were cousins. He'd probably known about him his whole life, and it all clicked. I never saw Jesus do anything wrong. I never saw him say a word that he had to take back. I never saw him have to apologize. Of course he's the Son of God. (laughs) Even at his death, the centurion standing by the cross after he died, the earth shook. The centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, when you get close to Jesus, you can't help but understand and know He's the Son of God. It's just as the angel said, what child is this? He's a great child. What child is this? He's the Son of God. If you look back at Luke chapter 1, what child is this? Verse 32, he shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And so what child is this? This is a king in the lineage of David. A king in the lineage of David. That may not mean much to you, but for the Jews, this was huge. You see, God had promised David that he would always uh, reserve uh, a lineage for him, that, that kingly lineage. And the Davidic covenant, David understood and David was promised that the Messiah would come through David's line. That's pretty amazing. We won't take time to go through the uh, genealogies of Christ found in the Gospels, but it's obvious that he came through that kingly lineage. Matter of fact, on Mary's side, he came from a line of kings. 
on Joseph's side, who was his stepfather, Joseph was also in the kingly lineage. And many people believe that if Jerusalem had been a monarchy at the time, it's possible that Joseph could have been king. Joseph was a, a good man himself. And what the biographies we read about him, that Christ talked about him, what a good man. And a man that... God the Father knew so well, He said, I'm going to trust you to take care of the Son of God when He can't take care of Himself. May every man strive to be a godly man like Joseph was. But see, this was the King of David. Look at Matthew chapter 22. The Pharisees are trying to trip up Jesus, and so Jesus asked them a question. Look at verse 41. Matthew twenty two forty one. while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? See, they didn't believe he's the Christ, but he said, All right, let me ask you what you know about the Christ, the one who's supposed to come and save us. What think ye of Christ? But then Jesus asked a very specific question, Whose son is he? They, the Pharisees, say unto him, The son of David. Now, they're partially right. The Messiah was going to come through the lineage of David. But see, Jesus was asking a deeper question. He wasn't just the son of David. The Messiah was going to be the son of God. And verse 43, he, Jesus, saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? And then he quotes a verse from Psalms. The Lord, anytime you see Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, it's speaking of Jehovah. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And then Jesus asked the question, if David then call him the Messiah Lord, how is he his son? Verse, verse 46, and no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. See, Jesus quieted them right up. These doctors of the law, these ones that had every answer and knew everything and were judging jury on everything, even to the point of washing your hands and what food you ate. All right, Jesus said, let me ask you a question. And he quoted the scriptures and asked them a question and they couldn't answer. See, the truth is there that it would have been unthinkable for a father to call his son his Lord. But David said, my Lord, that the one coming from me is going to be my Lord. Why? Because he's the son of God. He's the savior. He's not just my son. He's just not one in my lineage. He is the son of God who's going to come and save the world. Look at John chapter 7. Look at verse 40. Many of the people, they were trying to figure out who Jesus is. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. See, they're trying to figure out, they knew Jesus was great. They knew, man, nobody preached like this man. They said that before, never man spake like this man. Where does this guy get these things? How does he have such insight? He didn't study with the laws, he didn't, with the doctors, he didn't go to seminary, he's a carpenter. Who is this man? They said, one said, he's the prophet. Others said, no, he's the Christ. Then they begin arguing a little bit. Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David? We just talked about that. That's what we're speaking about. 
and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was. So there was a division among the people because of him. You know, what's interesting is the answer was really easy to find. They could have said, hey, Jesus, where were you born? You know, just because you live somewhere doesn't mean you were born there. They said, Jesus from Galilee. We know the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee. The truth is, many of these people arguing didn't want Jesus to be the Christ. They were looking for reason to disprove him not honestly looking to see if he was who he said he was. We see that same bias in our world today. A lot of people look at Christianity not not seeking for answers, but searching to destroy it. Why? So they can cleanse their own conscience. So they can remove themselves from guilt. And some of the the most well-known agnostics and atheists in our world today they, they've, they've been on record saying comments like, well, well what, if, what if Jesus was true? And someone will ask them, well, what if this was? And, and what if and they get to the idea and someone will confront them that, you know, your ideas of atheism and agnosticism, they just really don't hold water. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they'll ask him, why, why, is it, why can't you just consider that perhaps Christianity is right? That perhaps Jesus is who he said he was. And they said, we can't entertain the thought. Because they full well know that if this Bible is true, they are condemned. I remember Larry King years ago. Remember he used to, some of you young kids wouldn't know him very much, but he used to be a big interviewer and he would bring people in and interview them and he'd bring preachers in. He'd pin them down and he'd ask them questions. And uh, I think he was a Jew. He didn't believe in Jesus, but he understood what Christians are supposed to believe. And I remember him asking someone, do you believe this and this and this? This is the gospel? And they were having a conversation. And I believe Larry King asked him and said, so according to what you believe, I'm going to hell. Is that right? It's amazing how many preachers over the years waffled on that. But some said, yeah, yeah. Someone asked Larry King one time, if you could interview anybody, who would you interview and what would you ask? And Larry King thought for a minute and he said, if I could interview anybody, I would interview God. And I would ask him if he had a son. And I would ask him what his son's name is. You see, a lot of people out there, out there aren't ignorant about what we believe. They just can't bring themselves to accept what the Bible says. And this is what was going on here. They could have found the answer. Hey, Jesus, where were you born? It wasn't a secret. They didn't want to know. Others had pronounced him guilty before even figuring out, wanting to know if he was innocent. Matter of fact, the crime he was crucified for 
was claiming to be the Son of God. If you study the scriptures, that's finally the accusation they got to stick. You claim to be the Son of God, we will crucify you. They did away with the blind being able to see, the mute speaking, the lame walking, the dead raised to life. They were blind to all of that. And they said, we will convict you for telling the truth. Amen. Amen. Who was this child? What child is this? Oh, he was a great child. He was the son of God. He was the king of David. Let me show you lastly here. If you go back to Luke chapter 1. Verse 31, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give him uh, the throne of his father David. Verse 33, And he shall reign forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. What child is this? He's a great child. He's the Son of God. He's the King in the lineage of David. But more than that, he's the King Eternal. He's the eternal king. See, the Jews thought the Messiah was going to come down and deliver them politically. At the time Jesus was crucified, the Jews were uh, overseen by the uh, Roman government. The Romans had a lot of control. The Jews couldn't do anything without permission. They were basically a a territory of the Roman government. That's why the, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, couldn't condemn Jesus to death. They had to go to Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman government official, and the Roman government official could give out a death penalty. That's why later in the book of Acts that Paul had to plead to go uh, to uh, appeal to Caesar because Rome, that was the highest authority in the land, and being a Roman, he had that right. That's why when Jesus told them he was a king, they claimed that he was opposing Caesar, who was the, the king. And they gave him a, uh, they, they, they said, uh, uh, you being a king, you're, you're, you're attacking Caesar, you're, you're opposing Caesar. And Jesus said, pull out a piece of money. And they pulled out a coin. He said, whose image is that? They said, Caesar's. And he said, there's some things that, that, that belong to Caesar and some things belong to God. And Jesus was constantly teaching this. The, the Roman government was very powerful at the time. Matter of fact, later in 70 AD, after some uprisings, Jesus had died, of course, and, <clears throat> and buried and rose again, was there, hung around for 40 days, went back to heaven. The book of Acts starts. The church was, was just booming and growing, <clears throat> and the there was an uprising in, in uh, Jerusalem, and the Romans came through and killed so many Jews there in Israel. And in 70 AD, there was, there was a bloodbath where the Roman soldiers just came through, and historians tell us that they got bloodlust, and they just started killing everything. Some historians said that blood was running like water in the streets, like you would see water after a heavy rain going down the street. There was blood running downstairs and running in the, flowing in the streets. It was a massacre. Is there any wonder the Jews said, we want the Messiah to come to deliver us from the Romans? But God said, no, your greatest oppressor is not the Romans. Your greatest enemy is not Caesar, it's Satan. Your greatest problem is not Rome, it's your own sin. And before the Son of God delivers you politically, He's going to save you eternally. 
And the Jews said, we don't want that. Crucify him. And the Jews found out God didn't give them what they wanted so they threw a little temper tantrum. And many of them didn't get saved spiritually and neither did they get delivered politically. See, when you reject what God's trying to give you because you don't see it, you don't realize the fact that God's trying to give you something better. Do you know that God doesn't withhold things from you to be mean, but He often will not give you what you want because He has something better planned for you? Don't get mad at God when He doesn't give you what you want. Don't get mad at God when He doesn't do it your way. One of these days you'll look back and say, thank God you didn't do it my way. What you've given me is so much better than I could have asked for myself. And so we see the Jews rejected him. He came into his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And now salvation is open to all who will believe. And Jesus today, this Christmas season, he's not trying to make sure you get good presents. He's not trying to make sure that you get what you want. He's trying to save your soul. He's trying to take you to heaven. He's trying to deliver you from your sin and take away the guilt and the shame where you can stand before God, not condemned in the filth of your own sin, but accepted in the righteousness of Christ. But how many this Christmas season will say, I don't want that. I want something from Kohl's. I want something from Walmart. And God says, I'm trying to save your soul. We've got a good God, don't we? Well, if you're here this morning, you're not sure you're saved. Why in the world would you walk out those doors lost? Why would you go through another day, another night, condemned, alienated, separated from God? When your pardon is ready, come to Christ. He'll forgive. Amen. Amen. Let me show you one last verse. We'll be done. First Timothy chapter one. <clears throat> what child is this? He's great. He's the son of God. He's an earthly king in the lineage of David. But more than that, he's the king eternal. And he'll reign forever and ever. One of these days he will reign for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom. And he'll reign on the throne of David. But more than that, he'll reign for eternity. First Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 15. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. Albeit for this cause I obtained mercy. That in me first. Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Look at verse 17. Let's read it together. Now unto the king eternal. Immortal, 
invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See, who's the King Eternal? Oh, he's talking about Jesus in that passage. Jesus Christ is the King Eternal. This Christmas season, you hear songs about baby Jesus. You see the likenesses in the mangers, the decorations, the presents celebrating His birth. If someone asks you, who was that baby? What's the big deal about Christmas? Maybe they'll say it like this. What child is this? Now we know. He's great. He's the Son of God. He's a King in the lineage of David. And He's the King eternal. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the Scriptures. I pray, Lord, that You'd burn them deeply within our hearts. Help us to recognize the beauty of this season to celebrate it in a way that would honor you and I pray Lord that you'd help each of us to draw close to you if there's one here today that's not saved make today the day of their salvation help them to accept you and Lord for those who are saved I pray you'd forgive us of our sin forgive us for getting away from you a little bit not being as close as we should. Draw us close with cords of love. Bind our hearts with yours. And may we be so overcome with gratitude of your glorious salvation. May we tell others, friends and family, loved ones, neighbors and strangers, of the glorious gift of salvation that you offer them this Christmas. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If the Lord spoke to your heart, <clears throat> we're going to have a, an invitation. If you're here not sure you're saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. Uh, perhaps the Lord spoke to you about something else. Maybe there's somebody in your life that's lost, and they're not saved, and you'd want to pray for them. Or maybe you have something else in your life you want to pray about. But the altar will be open. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar is open. Mm-hmm.